Hello, this is the Black and Asian Therapist Network podcast. My name is Eugene Ellis. This is the second of two podcasts. In the first podcast, I spoke with two therapists that attended extra training to supplement the training that they had originally received when they became psychotherapists. They did this so that they could facilitate dialogue about black issues with their trainees and their clients. I spoke with Chris Black, who is the clinical director at Kids Inspire, and who identifies as a black therapist, and Celia Levy, who is the counselling services manager at City Lit, and who identifies as a white therapist. Both therapists gave insightful and powerful accounts of their experience of doing this extra training and their journey of overcoming the powerful feelings that can get activated when uncovering issues of race in the therapeutic process. You might want to go back to the previous podcast and listen to Chris and Celia and also gain a sense of the issues that black and Asian students on therapy courses experience. In this podcast, I'll be talking to two other guests who are also therapists, one who identifies as black and one who identifies as white. They have both attended the Black Issues training that has been entitled A Can of Worms and talk about their experience and how it has affected their work. My guests will be talking about concepts like ancestral baggage and shadism, which are not gone into in any great detail, but if you want to find out more about these ideas, I'll give you details at the end of the podcast. My first guest then is Pat Marie Coleman. Pat Marie is a counsellor and supervisor in higher education and a course tutor for the counselling programme at City Lit. Pat Marie contrasts her experience as a student, where she felt her voice was silenced both by herself and by others, and how this made her furious to the point of wanting to leave the course. And now as a tutor, how she's finding ways to facilitate her black and Asian students to find their voice in the therapeutic setting. The very act of finding her voice is empowering others, both black and white, to find theirs. I went to meet Pat Marie at City Lit. Thank you, Pat Marie, for agreeing to be part of this podcast. I know that you've done some of the training, Barton has organised, and you identify as a black woman. I'd like to start off by asking you what drew you to top up your training in this particular area? Hmm, I think there are a few reasons. I've done two lots of the training, so I did the first lot two years ago, mm. or some of the days, and now I've just recently done part two of it. Yeah. Initially, I was in the middle of studying on an MSc course, and as a student, I'd had mm. experienced a lot of issues that I found quite difficult in terms of looking at this stuff. Yeah. And was quite surprised that still the same issues. I did my initial training completed it in 94 and actually felt that the issues were dealt with in a better way than on my MSc Mm, actually Um, but I'm much more aware and much more experienced now so maybe also is that I'm experiencing things differently Mm. I wanted to look at how you and I also teach cancer skills I wanted to look at how you support students and tutors in talking about these issues. Yes. Because they're really emotive. Yeah. And always bring up lots of stuff. Yeah. That is quite difficult to contain and also support the dialogue 
around it. How do I find my voice? Because I found my voice was silenced on the course by myself and by others. And how to facilitate that as a tutor Mm. and still be present and learn and all those things. Mm. So was that how it felt? Was that the main feeling or response? Silence? Or was there other things happening as well? Oh, no. Okay. This wasn't the only... As a student, I was furious, angry. I thought about leaving the course. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah. And so it really made me think about my students and how do they mm. feel. Because mm. I'm in this dilemma. I feel like I'm in a dilemma as a tutor on the course as if I support the black students too much, it may be seen as giving them preferential treatment. Yeah. But actually... If they're not supported, they're on their own and they're silenced. Yes, yes. I'm still, I'm struggling with that, but I think I'm much more present. Yes. Because I've done the training, I'm much more present. Mm. I was aware of the issues before, but now I'm able to be, I'm less silenced. Yes. So even as a teacher, I was silenced in a way. You might have felt you were giving the black students preferential treatment. Was was that echoed in, with the white students and white tutors, did they... No, I don't think I've verbally had that feedback. No, I don't think so. Right. I certainly have had white students who have felt very differently when I've talked about black issues. Have You know, there's a the whole thing about shame and right. guilt. It has okay. such an impact. It does. And yes. then it has an impact on their relationship with me. I think less on my relationship with them. Yes, right. right. Yeah, it's like... Opening Pandora's box, yeah, yeah. talking about it. Yeah, it's the can of worms. Yeah, the can of worms, absolutely. It's a training phrase. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good name for it. Yeah. In the training you were doing back in 94, it sounded like a bit of a crisis in terms of whether you are going to continue with the course or not. Oh, you no, s- that was the training I've done recently. This oh, is my MSc course. Now, oh, okay. in, in 94, um, I felt really heard. What happened on my initial training was hmm. I was finding my voice Yes. But I wasn't very articulate. So one of the things that I did on my course, which caused a huge disruption, okay. I organised a um, social meeting for just the black students to talk about black issues. Ah, okay. But I did it in a quite underhand way because I couldn't, I just couldn't, didn't have the voice to say it in the group. So I approached the black students separately. Yes. Then what happened was the white students found out and it kind of caused a lot of division in the group. So right. what some white students were really supportive, felt mm. it was really right on for us black students to get together. Yeah. And others just couldn't understand why we would need to. Yes, yes. So yes, I've been causing controversy for a long time. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and actually a similar thing happened on my MSc. I asked on a residential when I was feeling really empowered Mm. I asked that we have a black group and we did have a black group and and in a different way openly to the whole group Mm. and we did have a black group and then there was a lot of fallout afterwards Mm. Mm. yeah Mm. so you know that's really interesting isn't it yes yes why do you need to meet up separately I mean I've had that experience where I've trained where I've got together some black and Asian students who are doing the course at the time same same time as I was doing it and there's a similar response Again, some supportive and some, I don't even understand why are you meeting? Yeah. What's the point? And then feeling excluded sometimes as well yeah. from that. Yeah. I think it was really difficult for the other, on my MSc, the other black students, they wanted to be, I don't think they wanted to be separated. They, I mean, this is my perception. Yeah. Because we didn't really process it. 
but I don't think they wanted to be separated. And so one by one, we'd all agreed to meet up, and one by one, they all said, mm. no, okay. we're not doing that again. Right. But, you know, that's about the impact on a bigger group and mm. about them as individuals. Mm. Yeah. It sounds like the silence and all of the other things that you just spoke about are about people not feeling safe. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you're not feeling safe, then it, obviously expiration becomes problematic yeah. in an attachment sense. What was the actual training that you went on with Aisha, you know, the two trainings? Did you feel safe? Did you feel okay to explore? Were there things that made you un- feel unsafe? Um, I have supervision with Aisha. And Aisha's book actually saved me on my MSc course. Right. I wrote okay. an essay based on it. I did right. some research. I did a project, did a presentation, really immersed myself into it. So it felt very safe. Mm. And... The second lot of training went to quite a deep level for me. It's very emotional, mm. <laughs> amazing. I'm still actually kind of processing what came up for me. Mm. And that was really important. The first lot of training two years ago, I think I was quieter. I was more vocal in this second lot of training. But again, I felt safe and it was interesting. It was a bigger group. It was a different feel. It was a bigger group, the first lot of training. Yeah. Smaller group, the second lot. So I was much more vocal. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the second training went a bit deeper. I mean, the first yeah. training was just, well, not just, but it was talking about the basic ideas and, yeah. the, and the theories and stuff. The second training, you felt you sort of came out and found your voice more in this. Absolutely. In found my voice. It reinforced things that I knew and have talked about on a kind of cognitive level, but I really felt them, really, you know, internalised racism, things that have been said in my family, things I've just heard all through my life. Mm. It was real opportunity to explore that and what it means to me and the impact on me and mm. my relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The training itself, I mean, did you um, take away anything in particular? Yeah, what gems did you sort of pick up along the way? And did you use those in your work as a trainer? Um, it's been quite recent, but I think I definitely will be using it. I've done this exercise with my students, and I've also observed it being done in terms of power. Mm. But we did this exercise where we stood in a line in terms of um, colour, right. shadism. So oh. we looked at, and so there was this long line of us starting from white to black and all the variations in between. Mm. And it was amazing. It had such a huge impact. That's when I really kind of broke down. Because mm. then all of that stuff that I've grown up with came through. Mm. Really felt it. So I would like to definitely do that with my students at some point. Okay. Well, that was something you did on the, on the, on the training oh, with On the Aisha. training with Aisha. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. yeah you okay. weren't there that day. No, no, I wasn't. No. Yeah. So that was the shadism yeah. bit. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, I really liked her use of, um, she used quite a few video clips as well that were evocative um, Mm. and helped us look and talk about things. I like the idea of doing that and bits of writing as well. So I definitely will be using that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you read her book before you went on the course. I mean, mean, many people wouldn't have done that. What did you find most powerful about the book or the ideas in the book in in particular? Oh, it's just fantastic to have words to my feelings. That's how I felt. Mm. Have words to all the things that I'd felt, 
to, to see that I wasn't alone in this and my struggle, it really helped me. So in terms of the MSC course, it really helped me to accept that we are all in different places with this mm. and mm. we all struggle with it, yeah. all of us. You know, because I feel like I've done loads of work on myself mm. and here I am still struggling. Mm. Yeah. You work as a trainer here? Yeah. And I'm imagining that you've incorporated some of the ideas that you've learnt over the years and with Aisha's training into the course. Yeah. What are the main difficulties in that area, do you think? I mean, what what are the sort of... <laughs> I know there are many, but uh, maybe <laughs> just one or two <laughs> uh, uh, hurdles um, that if they were overcome would facilitate an easier dialogue about race and training yeah well I think one of the things is in my time that I've been teaching here with the awarding body we had a whole essay looking Mm. at difference and diversity and now we've got a criteria so it's been cut to a criteria in a huge essay oh right okay so in terms of importance of looking at these issues it Mm. feels like it's way down the pecking order okay definitely so it's getting less so Getting less so, as if we've dealt with all these issues and we just need to say a paragraph on it. Right, right. Yeah. So if we were only looking at um, teaching to the criteria, then Mm. we would spend very little time looking at Mm. those issues. Mm. But we're looking at those issues all of the time. We're trying to, I am trying to really incorporate looking at these issues all of the time through the training, Mm. bringing it up up with with everything that we talk about rather than it being a bit that's stuck on yes and we do have a specific slot for it but we look at it a number of times and in in a number of different ways through the course as well right yeah but as far as the criteria is concerned there is one slot not even a slot there's a a, one line you know so I suppose a student could write a paragraph on it and I guess I'm talking about the certificate training which is a one year training of 140 hours yeah yeah. Pretty sad. Yeah. And not untypical. Yeah. And certainly uh, my experience on my MSc as well, in the three years of the talk part of the course, uh, I think we had one slot on it. Of course, it came up lots of times because I brought it up lots mm-hmm. of times. Mm-hmm. And actually, my second tutor was very supportive. It made a huge difference mm. because then our group could um, talk about the issues. She'd mm. gone off and done research, a white woman, she'd gone off and done research mm-hmm. in Jamaica and in India and she was able to talk about her research, the impact mm. on her and her um, people that she supported. She's a supervisor as well. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Why do you think it's getting less when well, it seems like there are more black students, more Asian students, more people of colour yeah, doing yeah. training? How could it not be an issue? Mm. It's an issue for all of us. Mm-hmm. I suppose because black people are not part of the awarding bodies. They, they're not writing the criteria. Mm. Um, the people that are writing the criteria don't see it as a priority. Right. Or want to tick a box. Mm. I mean, there's a cycle, isn't there? I mean, in order to get more black people doing counselling, you need more black counsellors or Asian counsellors. Mm. And... If the criteria doesn't quite meet them, yeah, then you won't get that many going through. So the status quo is we're happy with that. And yeah. It sounds like that's yeah. kind of how it is. And yeah, because when we say more black and Asian counsellors, 
Yeah, but actually more black and Asian councillors that are aware and have a voice. Yeah. Have been empowered to find their voice to really look at themselves. So I think, you know, there are black and Asian councillors, but, you know, you think how many are not members of Barton and wouldn't associate themselves with Barton because they don't see the need, because they don't see the issues. Yeah, yeah. It's astounding, (laughs) really, isn't it? Well, yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. What made you go on this training? Was it just that it was there, or did something happen? Um, It's an ongoing, I was going to say project, but it's an ongoing lifelong quest looking at these issues. I'm Mm. wanting to work on a deeper level. I'm thinking about doing, so as part of my MSc, I have to do some research. Yes. It's a small research project, I have to keep reminding myself. Mm -hmm. But I'm really interested in doing some research on how to support tutors and students looking at these issues yeah continuing to look at that and might do some research on myself and my own process yeah around that and I thought it would help me looking at that but also because I'm generally interested and I'm looking at these issues all the time not only with my training but with my clients Mm -hmm. and my supervisees yeah I mean are there other places that you go to look at these issues other trainings that you've been on uh where are they Okay, I was just kind of interested to know. <laughs> yeah, where are they? Okay. I haven't seen any other training. I haven't, apart okay. from the Barton stuff. No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I'm in the Transcultural Supervision Group. I go to um, some of the Barton meetings. I try and always go to the conferences because mm. I think they're amazing. But no, I don't see that there is that forum provided outside of Barton. Right. I don't. I was thinking that maybe you might be able to help me out to find some no. more stuff like this, but uh, I mean, because I, I don't know of any no. other place like this either. And I think, you know, for years and years and years, my experience has been going to conferences and training and being the only black person. Yeah, yeah. And really being silenced because of that. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder what I would be like now. Maybe not so silent. I don't know. It depends on the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's been um, a real journey. I mean, Aisha's book and the training is part of that journey obviously yeah. you're doing other work outside of that yeah. but it's all about finding your voice isn't it and, yeah. um, and empowering others to find it because yeah. I'm finding my voice yeah. I'm much more able to empower others to find their voice yeah, yeah. yeah. so this year I had um, a black supervisee and I told her about and she was doing training in a private organisation mm. and I told her about Barton and it was like I'd given her manner from heaven she right. was so happy and thrilled and went to some of I think she went to some of the support groups and came to the conference mm-hmm. and yeah she felt very silenced on her call she was the only black person and found it very difficult there. Mm-hmm. I mean what do you think might move the profession on do you have a sort of sense of what might um, loosen the grip around these issues to make them more important make them feel more important mm. to be included on on the training courses. I think the things that we're doing, continuing to have a dialogue, getting our voice heard, continuing to meet, um, writing, I think definitely more black therapists, counsellors, mm. trainers need to put things in writing. Yeah. Because then they're read across a whole wide spectrum. And I'd like to write at some point. Just the dialogue. The dialogue. The dialogue yeah. out in the community somehow. Yeah. Through books, through yeah. I mean, through these podcasts, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, through the trainings. Yeah, 
yeah, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Rather than us just meeting on our own and it not going any further, because I think that's gone on for years and years. Mm. It's supportive, but actually, yeah. I think more and more black people are writing, but is it being published? I don't think so, not really. Maybe there'll be a mad flood at some point. I don't know. Oh, I hope so. But I hope so. If we keep um, writing. Yeah, there's plenty of people I know who are ready. Yeah. Yeah, which is write. very exciting. Yes, yes. Obviously, we've got some people who are already doing that. Yeah. I should be in one. And uh, obviously, if people go to the Barton website, they'll see some other people who have written yeah. as well. But um, yes, yeah, certainly the more, more books in that area, talking specifically around racism, I guess. Yeah. And how that can be addressed. Some of the other people I've been talking to as part of this podcast have talked about finding the words. Yeah. You, you knew something, but there, you couldn't kind of put the words to it that you wanted to? Yeah, definitely that was my experience when I was reading Rush's book, that yes, I had the feelings, I had the experience, but I didn't have the words to express it. Right. And it feels like Rush's book has um, provided a theory for me to hold on to and maybe for other people to hold on to as well, for me to express myself in a way that other people who are not black and haven't had the experience can mm. hear me. Well, I think she's... Um going to bring out another book, maybe some more ideas, maybe refining the ones she's already put together. And that's going to be exciting to, to, to see that. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say about your experience of the training or generally around this area before we finish up? I know that she offered some training at Metanoia and it wasn't taken up. And I find that really sad that that's still the case, that mm. people are not booking themselves onto the training. And it's that whole thing of they don't have to, so why, why are they going to? Mm. And I think uh, another way forward is for more courses to make it compulsory, mm. that all students have to write something or have to produce something um, in terms of them looking at themselves in dealing with these issues, mm. whoever they are. Mm. Mm. There's an ongoing process around dialoguing and communicating with the organisational bodies to make that possible. But yeah. um, that, that's, that's been going on for a few years. That'll be a continuing dialogue, won't it? But yeah. yes, it does seem that that might be the answer yeah. somehow to make that kind of happen in that way. Thank you for spending the time and let us uh, get a bit of an insight into your process around uh, the black issues in the therapeutic process training. Thanks so, for asking thank me. You, thank you, Pamri. Thank you. That was Pat Marie Coleman, who is course tutor for the counselling programme at City Lit, talking about the process of finding a voice around black issues. My second guest is Nikki Cooper. Nikki is the programme leader for the Professional Qualifications Department at an organisation called The Place to Be. This is a national charity providing emotional support to children in schools. She talks very openly and honestly about her process of coming to terms with her own discrimination and the history of racism that we all carry with us in our bones, as well as the process she and her students took to develop a conversation around race rather than to remain in agonising silence. I visited Nikki at her offices at The Place to Be. Thank you, Nikki, for agreeing to be part of this podcast. I know that you've done a specific training around black issues and you identify as a white woman. Mm-hmm. I'd like to start off by asking what drew you to top up your training in this particular area? 
Well, I'd been um, running the professional qualifications department here at Place to Be for a couple of years yeah. and, um, and had developed the postgraduate diploma from scratch. And I discovered from running that that there was a great deal more for me to learn and mm. understand. I had three particular students of colour on that first cohort of students who taught me a huge amount, okay. painfully, a lot right. of the time. Um, and despite all our best intentions, the courses that we ran had always had a thread on difference and diversity. But despite mm. that, mm-hmm. what I realised from the, these three students, our training was still leaving some people feeling excluded or not understood or not okay. properly heard. Did they voice that directly they to did, you? They did, yeah. Okay. Um, right. But it took time. Do you yes. know what I mean? So it wasn't until the second year, really, that they were able to articulate that. Yes. Up until that point, it had been a lot of silence around it. But yes, by the second year, they found their confidence and their voices and were able to, to tell me um, what it was like for them. And I think the reason it, it had never been flushed out before is that all of our courses, other courses are very short. Um, and so it was the length of the postgraduate diploma that enabled the relationship to develop between us as tutors right. and the participants okay. Okay. Um, and increased trust and honesty between us yeah. um, so so that then those things could be properly talked about, the conversation right. could be had. So you I were learned, working at greater depth as well, yes, given the yeah. course. Yeah, length, yeah. Yeah. And so that was a massive realisation, was, a, you know, gosh, we've got an awful lot to do here. Mm. You know, there's mm. a huge amount missing. And I think I came face to face with my own ignorance and incompetence, really, as a result of having being a white middle class woman mm. who'd been brought up in this culture, completely immersed in it my whole life. Right. Um, there was lots of things I didn't even know I didn't know. Right. You know, right. there was a sort of great well of not knowing. Not knowing, yeah. When you're um, a very accomplished woman doing lots of things in this field of mm. psychotherapy but yeah around this particular area you felt incompetent and I yes word, yeah. but I hadn't previously felt that I've been quite kind of you know I'm really committed to yeah, yeah. Uh, to equality and committed to anti-racist mm. uh, anti-discriminatory practice you know to the core mm. of me you know I was, mm. I, was, I was sort of convinced of it but the experience of these three trainees yes indicated that actually there was quite a lot that I wasn't addressing so that was the driver for me to find out more um and then um yeah so that was that was what drew me um to it i wanted to feel like our courses were going to be able to not just attract a a broad diversity of people but also that they would have an enjoyable stimulating and inclusive experience of Mm. whatever it was Mm. we were up to Mm -hmm. um so that's what drew me to coming on the Barton training right. and I wanted to find out more about myself in relation to racial and ethnic difference really because I just realised how little I'd actually thought about my own culture. And, right. um, I mean had you done training in this area before? Certainly not in, my own, not in my right. own counselling right. um, training. No, nothing. There was nothing about okay. <laughs> anything That's to do with right. difference in my, in my counselling training. Right. Apart from the training that I received when I joined the organisation, yes. which was our sort of um, our standard training, which is you know, it's good. It offered and asked the right questions mm-hmm. and things, but it's a lot better now. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if there were any fears um, around 
attending the training? What were your expectations? And I mean, how were those expectations met? Was it what you expected? Actually, I, d- I don't think I had any fears mm-hmm. as such. I, I, the reason I came across it was because of your day in the life of in the therapy today okay magazine well, the article yeah. the article and um and it had a very welcoming tone so yes. i wasn't afraid and also i think what i've been going through for the previous two years mm. in terms of confronting this as a tutor mm. had been so difficult i couldn't imagine that anything was going to be more difficult all right <laughs> it really did, had felt as about as difficult as it could have felt in a oh, okay. in a personal way as well as in a positive you know yes. so it, it had had both ends of the spectrum it had been exciting but it had also been quite gut churning yeah a lot of the times so. it sounds like you're saying that the students coming to you and kind of saying well there's we're not being met in, mm. one, in this particular area and that was in itself difficult well, I think it was more that it it was more in the process of not being able to say it that was painful. So it was towards the end. It was once it oh, once okay. the conversation could start to be had. Yes, and I think that meant everybody shifting themselves into a listening right. position yeah. and a, an accepting position rather than a defensive one. Yes, yes. Um, possibly yeah. on my part, and um, and also unafraid part perhaps mm. on, on theirs I don't know so we needed to spend time maneuvering ourselves into sure. a place where they sure. could say actually we had a training where people were invited to do a sculpt of their experience of the training mm-hmm. um, and these three women had ended up apparently serendipitously mm-hmm. um, together to make this sculpt yes and they made a sculpt of the hear no evil speak no evil see no evil mm-hmm. monkeys yeah and it was the most, I mean, I don't know how to describe it. It was kind of, it was a massive breakthrough. But it, I mean, I, I'm i even thinking about it now, I get goose pimples, because it was such a kind of articulate mm. moment. And the whole room mm. completely froze, mm. because mm. it was spot on. It was, mm. yes, this is what it is. Mm. And that moment was a kind of real turning point for the group yes. and, um, and for me. And a very exciting one. It sort of articulated the silence, yes. really, as one that wasn't being chosen necessarily. So I suppose up until that point, I'd felt that the participants were choosing not to speak. Mm. It kind of swiveled the lens round and mm. made me think, OK, there's something about this course which is silencing, yes. is having a silencing impact. And that's very troubling. So that was horrible. Mm and shocking but it was also represented a big turning point I think mm, for the group mm, mm. and for me and for them mm. as well um, and more conversations could happen after mm. that which mm. were probably not as difficult as that moment <laughs> once, the, once the conversations could be had it wasn't as agonising um, I don't think right, so right. Um, and, and it was one of them who introduced me to, to Val Watson's work and Colin Largo the, the two handbooks and yeah. across transcultural counselling and okay. so there's a particular chapter that resonated a lot with me was which was about ignorance of of our own of majority cultures ignorance of itself yes. and needing to take responsibility for that you yes. know and actually yeah. finding out more about all that stuff that's running in my veins and, mm. and in my sinews and mm. in my whatever you call that stuff bone marrow, bone marrow <laughs> yes you know that absolutely everything yes. Uh, was fraught with with you know messages, beliefs, assumptions, and yeah. yeah. So that sort of generated more of a commitment to look at that. Really, what did it mean to be a Bristolian? 
for example. My family yeah. comes from Bristol, and Bristol has got its own very particular history and culture. Yes. And, and my father's family have been there for a couple of generations. So, yeah, I'm quite steeped in that mixture of um, guilt and defensiveness and yeah. division and all of that kind of thing. So it was wow. really. So that was that was a big. So it was, a, it was a yeah. massive process, even yeah. to, just to. So after doing there. that, yeah. the idea of coming on a workshop was actually <laughs> okay. well, can't be any worse than this. Uh, and actually, okay. I think I, I felt like this will be an, an event where I'm not in danger of silencing anybody by mm. just being there. In mm. fact, that wasn't quite the case, but it was still, you know, I thought, yeah, this is a place that I can come and listen, yes. you know, and understand. Yeah. So I wasn't mm. I wasn't afraid of it. I hoped that I'd meet a broad mix of counsellors and trainee counsellors. I wanted to f- learn more about good and not so good practice in training, yes. especially. You know, yes. so I wanted to hear from people about what what good things had happened to them in their trainings and yeah. anything. Yeah. Wanted to, yeah, understand and gain a greater, yeah, greater understanding about my own implicit attitudes and how how they would feed into exclusivity in training. Yeah, I was yeah. aware that I'd be stumbling around and not getting it right, but um, resolved up hmm. not to be silenced myself by that. Okay, well, that's, that's good. <laughs> I, I mean, so. it sounds like, it was certainly in your training, and I know that's experience of other people on trainings mm. as well, uh, that's the silence, means that people don't feel safe. Mm. Uh, so don't feel safe, they don't feel safe, they're not going to explore. Mm. Um, I mean, what was the safety versus exploration dynamic like? on the course that you went to? Well, I think it was made early on, which was helpful. So the, the potential for being gagged, you know, right. was was there right from the beginning. And I think you said to me in a group, a small group that we were in, you yes. said, I'm really aware of feeling anxious about you or feeling like I need to protect you or oh, yes, be careful about yes. what I say. And so having that potential for you being gagged by me mm. being there, um, and being able to acknowledge that I was probably the same, that I was, that I may be feeling anxious about what I said in case it upset anybody, mm-hmm. um, meant that we had permission to stumble around and get it wrong. Yeah. Um, maybe. And th- in fact, there were a number of people who spoke to me and sort of said, Are "You okay?" and "How's it been?" and right. "You know, I'm not worried." <laughs> and and that was surprising. I sort of thought. Yeah, I kind of thought, honestly, I'm fine, you know, Mm, and I really mm. was fine. I didn't hear anything in that day that I found upsetting or, I mean, there was lots that was challenging, but it was all, all felt very safe to me. It felt like people were thoughtful about what they said. They kind of processed, it it was digested, Mm. um, you know, and it was, it was put out there in a, in a thoughtful way. Mm. I suppose it's uncomfortable to think that my presence could make things different mm. you know it'd be lovely mm. if I could just you know not do that but then mm. you sort of think well actually that's the whole point in a way is trying is that we're going to have an impact on each other and it's being able mm. to name that mm. impact mm. right from the start so we know where we are in terms mm. of, of how the conversation's likely to go. So the likely process was talked about quite explicitly? Yes. Because we could have been talking about another subject, mm. and these dynamics wouldn't really have been there. But certainly around this, these issues, then it really comes to the fore. Well, I suppose because that's what we were there to talk that's about. That's what we were there to talk yes. about. So all those things, all those uh, yeah. um, 
fears and mm-hmm. come out at that moment. Um, yeah, because yeah. that was on the agenda. That yeah, I suppose yeah, if we'd been there to talk about transference and countertransference, then perhaps that conversation wouldn't have, wouldn't no, have yes. been had. And perhaps it still needs to be had. Yes. You know, yes. in that. Yes. And I think the, th- the other thing that really struck me was, um, in terms of the actual experience, was that there was uh, myself and one other white British woman there and she's Jewish as well so her I felt like she was you know way down the line in terms of competence and wisdom okay <laughs> than I was but the thing that struck me was how much laughter there was on the day I mean it mm. was a, it was there was much hilarity and thigh slapping <laughs> and mm-hmm. you know nods and um, mm-hmm. a, quite a joyous kind of atmosphere and what I was struck by was that whilst I understood every single word that everybody was saying, I didn't really get the jokes a lot of the time. Okay, okay. Do you know what I mean? I felt like, I felt like a, a bit sort of wireistic, I sort of thinking that those um, perspectives are not part of my experience, so mm. I don't get it. I don't mm. get it. And when I came back after that training day, I bumped into two of the three women that had, had been on the, on the first cohort, and I sort of said, this was my experience, I didn't yes. get any of the jokes. And one of them went, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah that's it that's it there's a sort of um but i came away really buzzy you know okay. i kept with a real sort of yeah you know yes, we, yes. we can do this you yes. know nobody died having the conversation uh-huh. you know? uh-huh. um as long as you're naming the parameters from the start and saying mm. right this is going to be really awkward it's difficult mm. but mm. let's have let's have the conversation um, you would feel that you'd probably feel outside mm. of a lot of the jokes mm. especially I think that's probably would be normal I think mm-hmm. it would be a normal experience I could but get some of the jokes you got some, yeah, yeah I, did, I laughed um, as well but you got some you got something out of it um, a huge amount I mean there was a lot of things a lot of different areas covered mm. was there one thing in particular or was it many things I mean what gem sort the of came out for you yeah things that are stuck um well, I think the the one thing was that one of my students came along to the first one that I came to, and it was very early on in her training. So she was part of the third cohort. Right. So this was three years in. Uh-huh. Um, by this time, I'd heard about what you were doing, and I'd recommended um, that she came, she attend some of the Barton trainings, mm-hmm. and so she happened to be on the same one mm. as me. Um, so together we took a huge amount from it. We'd attended the same day and we could feed back to the group mm, together. Okay. And that had a massive impact on that group in terms of its willingness right from the beginning to tie in their thinking mm. with an understanding that the theory, that counselling and psychotherapy theory is very, in, its, in itself, is very Euro-American mm. um, and white and mm-hmm. that we can't assume that it's all... You know, it's going to cover everyone. It's going to get yeah. everyone, and so from the start, that participant, the, yeah. the, the young woman, um, who was from Ghana, was able to say, "Well, actually, she had the confidence from the start to say, well, actually, that doesn't make any sense to me at all.' You know, mm. and she could be heard by the group. So that was a big impact mm. um, for that group and on the training generally. Yes, um, which had a big ripple effect back at, backwards and forwards through all the trainings. I think the ideas I came away with that really stuck was Aisha's, that Aisha talks about ancestral baggage, yes. which normalises prejudice in a way, 
rather than demonising everybody mm-hmm. and saying, you know, these people are deeply evil because they have these attitudes. Mm. It's sort of saying, well, we all carry around in our in our bone marrow and in our blood and in our skin and in mm. everything mm. Um, our histories. Sure. And yeah. and it seems critical to me in terms of it being a teacher that the way to facilitate dialogue is to to accept and normalise wherever you are mm. on the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and rather than going, oh God, I'm like, you know, God, I've just had a terrible, a wicked, evil, racist thought. Mm. It's kind of going, whoa, where did that come from? Mm. I, I didn't know that was there. I need to think about that. And rather than beating beating myself up and saying, mm. oh my God, I feel so ashamed. I'm so disgusting. I'm so terrible. It's kind of saying, okay, there's perfectly good reasons why that thought's there. Yes. There's perfectly, lo- there's a logical sequence of historical events that mm. have led that thought to be deposited mm-hmm. or that attitude to be deposited in my mind mm. you know now what now what do mm. I do with that yeah, how can yeah. I change that what conversation do I need to have mm. with somebody else or with myself or with my therapist or there's a quite a long journey to be had before even the conversation starts definitely um, yeah there's mm. a lot of stuff um, you know you want to be a good person mm. who doesn't and people genuinely come with that mm, mm. and yet there's these thoughts and feelings and stuff that just sort of appears in your mind, seemingly out of nowhere, mm-hmm. horrifying stuff. Yeah. Um, how do you reconcile the two of them? Yeah. Be a good person and have these thoughts. So it sounds like the, the, the idea of ancestral baggage has kind of made some sense out of why you can be a good person and still have the messages yeah. that are horrifying to you when oh. you think about them. The general therapy community, regular trainings, mm. trainers that I sat on, my colleagues sit on and um, training that sort of I hear students going on um, still don't haven't got to where you got to in your training mm. I mean there are a few mm-hmm. that have mm-hmm. but I think on the whole my experience mm. anyway maybe someone might have something different to say about it is that um, they haven't started a conversation around that mm. within themselves within the, within the actual organization do you have a view on it what, why that is what the main impediment is the difficulty about having the conversation is about yeah there's it's the paving the way thing so mm. unless somebody forces someone like me to have the conversation mm. then you don't think to have the conversation because you don't even know that there's a conversation to have right okay you yeah. know so I suppose my position uh, before all of this was you know well I'm absolutely committed to you and you being entitled to everything that I'm entitled to. We are mm. all absolutely equal. You mm. know, that was my, you know, I absolutely have always believed that. Mm. Um, and so it would, it was very puzzling for me to have to take on board the idea that not everybody did feel that sense of entitlement. Mm. I didn't mm. get why anybody wouldn't. Yes. You know, if you've been in this culture your whole life and yeah. you've been to school and why done wouldn't the, you done the same things pretty yeah. much and so I think yeah. so it was just a kind of non-conversation yeah there wasn't anything to talk about and if if you've experienced any racist events in your life then that's terrible mm. and that shouldn't happen mm. and that's dreadful but nothing to do with me right okay and I think mm. the, the step that I needed to take was to realise that I was part of the problem as well as being part of the solution yes not that it was my fault, 
-hmm. not that I was entirely to blame for all the ills and evils in the world, but that my lack of understanding about my own culture meant that I was also part of maintaining a, a problem. Mm. And not to kind of go into a silent, guilty, self-flagellating, yes. shameful place with that. Because yes. that was a necessary phase as well of, yes. of yes. you know, what, what I should call the recognition trauma, you know, yeah. from, um, from the majority culture point of view of, um, oh my God, I'm such a terrible person, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's getting yeah. through to the other side of that yes. Yes. and kind of, yeah, to the acceptance... Um, so I think some of it's that there isn't doesn't appear to be a conversation to be had. Well, not here anyway, because we're all lovely people. Yes. And so I think that's part of it. But then also, I think that historically, uh, racial awareness courses and cultural awareness courses were remembered by people as being so traumatic and yes. and um, shaming yes. that people had a resistance to maybe people have a resistance to go there again I don't want to feel rubbish about myself thank you very much yeah, you know yeah. uh, let's just all agree that we all love each other and we're all equal you know so I think you're right I think mm. there was lots that were gained through mm-hmm. that process of in course. the 80s and the early right. 90s yeah. no doubt about that it left a residue in people's minds I think and you well, know, I which, think is, they, which it, is around and it ha- but that that phase had to happen it did have to happen too yeah. I yeah, mean yeah, it's yeah. like you have to yeah. shout really really loud don't yeah, you you, you know? do yeah. <laughs> in yeah. order to get um, absolutely yeah. Uh, yeah. to be heard really yeah. and before the before the conversation you know you can, everyone can settle down and start talking to each other yeah. But, yeah. Um, but in a way I think the other way of looking at it I mean to encourage other you know to encourage training courses is that we're in an evolving Profession, you know, it's only it's not even a hundred years old what sure. we're doing, yeah. and, and place to be a place to be. We work with children. That's even younger. You mm-hmm. know, there's we know nothing. You know, our, our understanding in terms of theoretical approach and all of that kind of stuff is all so spanking brand new. You mm-hmm. know, and there's so much more to learn. That if we're committed to evolving something mm-hmm. um, that works, there's so much to be gained from thinking about other cultural perspectives on mental health mm. because we certainly haven't got it sorted at, at, at this end as far as I can see you know mm. so it's really exciting you know to mm. learn about and think about other models and keep talking about them yeah yeah of course there's a willingness and a uh, and a desire my experience is that there is a willingness and a desire mm. but I think you're right about is there a conversation to be had mm-hmm. is there is there another one apart from the one that we're having now yes and, and if it is, well, what, what is it? I think you're right that there is that. It's not in the public consciousness that there is mm, even mm. A, a conversation to be had. It's a bit of a revelation to find out that, that actually there is something mm. to be spoken about here. Mm. And that sounds like it's quite often a, a painful journey. Mm. You know, who wants pain? Yes. No one, really. Or but, awkwardness uh, or, but yes. you know, um, or getting it wrong or saying the wrong thing. Yes. Or, um, but it sounds like the time was right for you to mm. um, take on board the students thoughts and ideas your commitment uh, kept you in the game and kept you listening and and, yes. and it sort of has bared fruit yes some fruit yeah, but not we're fruit. not there yet not there yet. there's yes. still a lot, lot more to do stuff to do still, yeah but yeah yeah but yeah I, I suppose the proof of the pudding will be when we've got a workforce that accurately reflects the communities that we're working in. sure then yeah. I think we'll know we've got somewhere yeah. Well, I mean, thank you for letting us into your the journey that you've made. Thank you. Well, it's my pleasure. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> that was Nikki Cooper, 
who is the program leader for professional qualifications at the place to be, giving a personal and honest account of the process she and her students went through to develop a conversation around the issue of race. In summing up all four conversations, what seems to be common to everyone's experience is how silencing and shut down people feel when attempting to process black issues in the therapeutic encounter. This silence is more than just not knowing. It's painful and agonising silence. This silence is often more painful than the conversation. What was also apparent was that putting the feelings into words and having concepts and ideas that make sense of what you're feeling greatly takes the pressure off and moves what feels confusing and overwhelming into the realms of the normal and the understandable, as well as the manageable. But what was also apparent listening to my four guests was that in order to bring people to the point where they feel there is an issue and there is a conversation to be had, there will need to be some level of making it compulsory for both trainers and students to look at themselves and their relationship to the issues of race and culture, both in the therapeutic dialogue of the course and in the written material and written essays. I'd like to thank all four guests for contributing to this podcast. I'm indebted to them and applaud their commitment and their passion. If you want to know more about the Black and Asian Therapist Network, you can visit the website www.baatn.org.uk. If you want to find out more about some of the concepts that were referred to by our guests, you can go to the articles page of the website and look for the articles by Dr. Aisha Mackenzie Mavinga. If you'd like to comment about this or any of the other podcasts, you can do so on the podcast page or you can email me at eugene at baatn.org.uk. I hope you can join me for the next podcast, but until then, goodbye.